ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. You're listening to another episode of Bad Jew. And with me today is none other than the lovely Rena Friedman Watts. Rena, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you. My daddy says I'm not a bad Jew. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. And I love that validation. Your daddy is the bomb. And for those who are listening, before you get uncomfortable with the phrase daddy, we need to give some context. Rena has an entire brand around Better Call Daddy, and you should definitely check out her show, her link is, is below there. We are going to get started with the four-minute Bad Jew Challenge where you are going to be able to learn more about Rena's backstory and where Better Call Daddy came from. So, Rena, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock. Excellent. Echad, shtayim, shalosh, yalla. I am Rena Friedman Watts. I have a podcast with my dad because he is my number one supporter and fan. And I interview guests, share the stories with him like a good daughter does. And then he adds his intergenerational perspective to every episode, which has become not only a gift to me, but a gift to my guests. They all want daddy's approval. Doesn't everybody want daddy's approval? From a very young age, I was putting on performances for my family and wanting that approval. And he always taught me to lean into my gifts, which then led me to auditioning for a youth performing arts school and not even reading the instructions of how to get in. I went in there, I sang a song, I didn't get in. And then he went to the head of the music department and was like, what does she have to do to get in? So he taught me how to turn a no into a yes, which then led me on the path to entrepreneurship. Because after I was in that program for four years and I didn't give up, that gave me the confidence to then drive up to Chicago and interview at WGN where I also didn't get in, but I didn't give up. I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns. I walked over to NBC Tower and I got myself a job. I started two weeks later and then worked there for two full seasons. And then at the top of the third season, I was finished, moved to L.A., got myself into the Producers Guild, and then worked for Nanny 911 for three seasons. It's all about trying things, figuring out what you're good at, and pivoting when you're done and moving on to the next chapter. After L.A., I got myself on J-Date and knocked out three kids in four years, found my Basharit. Then I entered the corporate world for a bit, tried that on, found entrepreneurship, and had another kid at 39, and now I'm doing entrepreneurship full-time. I still got two two minutes to go. Oh my got, goodness. Wow. You got two minutes. You did great. That was awesome. That was really <laughs> empowering. What does entrepreneurship look like? That also is a lot of figuring out what have you learned in your journey that you can monetize? What do you love doing? I loved LinkedIn. So I've coached people doing that. I love production. So I've coached people doing that. I've loved podcasting. So I've coached people doing that. I've worked with influencers and know how to book them. So if you're an author and you have no time to get testimonials for your book, I can help you do that. Um, if you need help with business development, I've helped people do that. I would say entrepreneurship for me has just been, hey, what do you need help with? And is it something that I'm good at doing? And if so, let's work out a price that works for both of us. Because I've got 20 years of experience working in radio, TV, marketing, business development, and if you need help in any of those areas, I, you know, and I enjoy the work and I like you and we're value aligned, then let's make something happen together. I think that life, as far as uh, being a mom, 
is part of my picture now. So what today looked like was going to my son's fifth grade graduation. And then from there coming home, doing a coaching call with another podcaster and then being on to podcasts, right? If you want to have it all, you have to have all of those elements. You have to have spirituality. You have to have, you know, running on the treadmill before you did all those things. And you got to be able to make a little money you know, if, if you drop one of those areas, then you won't be fulfilled because when you drop one thing, everything else falls. So you got to try to have a little bit of mompreneurship, a little bit of money, a little bit of things that you love and try to incorporate all of that into your day. And so if that means taking one less customer so that you can be there for a kid that's transitioning into a school, then that's what you got to do. And that's what I have done. And so yeah, that's Rena Friedman Watts in a nutshell. I think I got a couple more seconds to go, but that's it. Well, you use that time incredibly economically in an incredibly well done manner. Also, I mean, I've I've heard you tell your story before. I've heard I've heard you tell your life story before. We have had synergies in the past. My company is a marketing agency that does podcast production. You're a podcast producer with an extensive history of, you know, this whole backstory and how you have worked under some uh, iconic, uh, you know, people, Jerry Springer included. So it's pretty incredible. I was even on your podcast, Better Call Daddy, and your daddy gave some great insight as to the kind of person that I was. That was, of course... I'm going to call it pre-Jewish journey me. I mean, I've always been on a Jewish journey, but really it started last July. So, you know, it's it's this incredible thing to, you know, really, you know, take witness to. And I'm I'm just really impressed with how you put yourself out there. So great job, Rena. Thank you. Yeah, it's it takes bravery to put yourself out there. And when I see people continuing to do it, I have so much respect for it. And I was actually just talking about this earlier is that the people that have no filter and are so unedited, like they're so comfortable with working out everything that they're uncomfortable with. I love those people the most. And I try to have them on my show as much as possible because I want to get there. So anywhere that you want to get in life, whether you want to get to a certain monetary amount or whether you want to get to a certain leadership amount or whether you want to get to a certain, certain vulnerability place, right? You got to bring those people into your life and take what they're doing and apply it to your own. Absolutely. And you know what? That is a great transition into today's topic because today's topic is about what are the things that we can do to reach that point of discomfort that allows you to try out Judaism. And what I mean, this particular episode, these are for people like me, like Rena, people that they basically they come from a background where you know they practiced Judaism or were born into Judaism one way, and then they had an awakening. They had a realization that they wanted this to be a bigger part of their lives. And you know, one thing I think that a lot of Jewish organizations fail on. I don't normally start my podcast like this. By the way, this is a very unique thing for me. So I'm I don't normally start my podcast this way, but I realized today doing research for this interview that Jewish organizations fail at providing basic foot in the door resources to get started in Judaism. In fact, I found better resources from non-religious resources. So let me show you right here, just to open up, I, I got, got all these, these different, this, this whole, these graphs, right? That displayed for on WikiHow, right? 
um, how to become more religious. And it's not even just about Judaism. This is about, you know, all religions, right? Part one, talking with God, making time for daily prayer. That's a basic way to get started. Part two, just bring yourself. God doesn't expect everyone to be a saint, you know? Part three, you know, pray in a way that feels most natural to you. That's really important. That's really big because if you look at what the quintessential prayer is, that's not going to really reside with a lot of other people. No one wants to read monologues and monologues of Hebrew that come across like gibberish. I don't mean to put it that way, but that's true to get started. That's not a really, you know, user-friendly way to get into Judaism, right? Um there were other articles that were related to the topic, right? This one happened to use a Jewish figure. So we got some good Jewish representation on WikiHow. You know, spend time studying the central religious texts. You know, looking into that, I, I started looking at this through, you know, reading English. Another one is ask the big questions, you know, challenge different concepts. See what you agree with. See what you don't agree with. My entire group chat that supports this podcast is called the bad jew whatsapp community and we ask the big questions and if you want to be a part of that you should ask those big questions on the bad jew whatsapp community because we're going to be able to have conversations support one another and keep it a safe space for you to ask as ridiculous of a, a question that you have that might not seem easy to ask in public spaces um and i know i'm totally taking over rena's time but i just want to point out here's the last thing i saw was confront your doubts. And that one really stuck with me a great deal. Just because when I first got started on my journey, none of this made sense. And because of that, I had a lot of questions about this amazing thing that came to be. I feel like, Rena, you probably can relate a great deal to this. I wanted to show that to anyone who is listening on YouTube. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you wouldn't be able to see the visuals I just showed. But there are these great visuals that WikiHow had to kind of give people a step-by-step -step process for getting started. And I don't see Jewish organizations doing that. that Definitely was my not. Definitely yeah. not. I, I have to say, like, I when I was working at Jerry Springer even and dating someone that wasn't Jewish, like, I wanted to keep Passover and kind of didn't know how to even really do that myself. And what did I do? I took to Google and was like, how do you do a Passover Seder? Yeah, right, just right. the basics. And I printed that out. Like, I didn't have a Haggadah. Right. Right? Wow. wow. What foods do I need to include? What prayers make it kosher? what all needs to be included to fulfill what you're supposed to do. It's huge. And so when did you start your Jewish journey then? Like in your, in your opinion, like was there like a, an event that really kicked it off or was there a moment where you put your foot down and was like, no, this is going to be a part of my life now. Like, it's what so did you... funny, but I'm like, I've tried to be Jewish my whole life and I am Jewish, but like, right. You know, just even preparing for this episode myself, I was talking to my dad. I'm like, okay, what was being Jewish in Kentucky, right? Like something that sticks out in my mind was me sitting in my room as a little girl. And I'm like, okay, there's a God if I make this basket. And I'd throw a little paper wad into the trash. I'm like, oh, best two out of three. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was me testing God, right? <laughs> And then my dad said to that, every young person is searching for meaning. 
Mm. That's what that is. Right? Yeah. And it's not until you have experiences, life experiences, right, that stacks on each other that you start even understanding what meaning is. Wow. So when did I start, like, having aha moments? I mean, I grew up as a conservative, like, pretty much secular Jew. I was very self-absorbed until my mid-20s. I don't think I really... There were God moments along the way. I, I was even talking about this earlier today. Like, when I worked at Jerry Springer, there was this girl who was a security guard for one of the green rooms. And she was very church-going. And she was always like, praying for you, girl, praying for you, girl. Whenever I would see her before a show, I swear my shows went better. So then I started feeling that way. And like when I didn't see her, I had another like religious churchgoer in my phone that I had met on a trip or something. And I would call him and I'd be like, I didn't see my girl today. Like, can you give me a word before I go out there? You know right. what I mean? So it was like that for me was a God moment, right? Like right. that was me like trying to connect to something bigger, like a power you know, why am I here? What is the bigger message and what I'm doing? Right? Right. Right. And you know, now that now that you say it, I like I like that concept of having a God moment, right? Like, I, I feel like I've had God moments too. You and I were brought up very similarly, by the way, I went to a, you know, conservative synagogue growing up, my parents, you know, basically leading up to my to my bar mitzvah, would do a Shabbat, and we'd go to synagogue. And then pretty much after my bar mitzvah, we didn't go as consistently. And eventually we just stopped going consistently. And so I, for a while, called myself reform for call myself conservative. But really, I think where I the way I lived my life was pretty secular up until last July when I went on that trip with H. Lit and I had my big awakening. So I, I had a specific event that I could pinpoint. But you're talking about a gradual experience over time where you experienced God moments on the way and you got to finally try it out. Yeah. And for me, it, it was a Shatora too. But I, like, again, here's another moment that sticks out in my mind is I was working at Nanny 911 and I was working on the high holidays, like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I think I fasted like Yom Kippur until like lunch or something. And then it was the executive producer's birthday and they're like passing out cake. I'm like, I'm eating that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, like it's like half-assing it right like right. and just a lot of my upbringing was that like go to right. synagogue and then sneak out and you know hang out with a guy at like mcdonald's or something in the drive-thru right Whoa. yeah yeah but what you're i think we should also draw a comparison here in terms of how you live your life and the family you have now as a Jew, how would you identify yourself? Like if, if if we were meeting for the first time and I wanted to know what shul you went to, what kind of shul do you go to? Right. So we go to an Orthodox synagogue when we go. Right. And that, it's funny. I was like thinking about, you know, we just moved to a new state and when you move to a new state, how do you establish yourself Jewishly, right? How do you find friends? How do you find community? You usually check out a synagogue. I literally, in every state that I've lived in, and I've lived in six, that's the first thing that you usually do, right? You check out the synagogues. You might check out the local Jewish community center. And 
you try to find your people, right? But there's there's so much to that. There's so much judgment. And like you're saying, like, what synagogue do you attend? I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm back to, like, not really attending on the regular. Is that because there's a lack of programming for newcomers as a... Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So that that's that's part of it. And would you all say there's also an issue in the Jewish community of the inability to try things out on a basic level? Oh, a hundred percent. And like, even if you like the rabbi, even if you like the style of prayer, even if you like some of the songs, like you feel obligated to stay for the whole thing. A lot of times I'll come in midway. I don't know what page they're on. I don't know what they're saying. I'm and then it brings me back to my childhood of going to synagogue, it feeling like a fashion show. I'm not really having a spiritual connection. So I'm like, what am I doing here? So then like what you showed at the beginning of this episode, let's go back to the basics, right? Like I'm at the place where I just want to have a conversation with God. I want to make time and space for God. I want to meditate. I'm not even to the prayer stage. And if I liked part of the prayer, maybe I would just want to say part of it or a line of it. <laughs> like, it's so much back and forth of wanting to be a part of it and then wanting to pull back from it. And, you know, first of all, I want to commend you for being vulnerable and 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 sharing and being honest and transparent here on the show, because, you know, we've had Jews of all kinds of styles and all shades of blue. I like to say shades of blue because, you know, Jews and blue. Anyway, bottom line is, you know, we've had we've had all kinds of Jews on the show from religious to non-religious, to Jews with tattoos, to Jews with, you know, who who follow every book, every rule in the book. I think I and that's that's really the part, the point of the show is to highlight that it doesn't matter what your background is, you know, you're not a bad Jew, which is why the show is ironically called that, right? We're confronting that issue. Um I think that there is a systemic problem within the community about judgment. A judgment's real. And for someone like me, that's what stopped me from exploring my Judaism. In fact, I I I'm in I'm in Asia, I'm in you know part of the Asia Torah community out here in West LA and there's a there's a there's a fledgling of it called Ashlit. Rabbi Jack and Shira were on the podcast. They're the ones who run it. They did a two-part episode, by the way, that was called Why Do Men Suck at Dating? Why Do Women Suck at Dating? And it was a great, it was a great series that we did on the whole entire dating concept, right? So on that note, you know, I was I was at the one of their Shabbats, and there's the there's the concept of benching, which is which are the prayers that you do after the Shabbat dinner. And there's this girl who is on her journey that she was, you know, just trying to follow along as best as she could. And I, at one point, sat down next to her and I just I just asked, hey, what are you reading? And she told me what she was checking out. And I answered any question that I might have had, even though I didn't know much more than she did. She DM'd me a week later and she said, Chaz, I wanted to let you know I really appreciated you asking me that because just moments before you had come up to me, someone else came up to me and made me feel bad for not knowing what I was reading. I love that. That's wonderful. Every time you shame another Jew for not knowing what you know, you are gambling their journey. Ooh, yes. 
she could have made the decision to just drop all of her cares right there. Because I'll tell you right now, it's a lot easier not to be Jewish than to be Jewish. Mm, That's so good. She chose to continue the journey, by the way. She just came back from a Spain trip uh, that was run by Masa. And uh, it's incredible what she's going through. I'm really, really proud of her. Okay, so I feel like something that goes alongside this, and this is something that I was talking about with my dad too, is that one thing that he has had a struggle with and I've had a struggle with and my children have had a struggle with is when Jews and when people in general say one thing and do another. And that has taken me away from Judaism and I've had to come back and not judge all of Judaism by individual people. It's tough to do. It's tough to do. <laughs> Very. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry that happened. Yeah. And so I think that that also really needs to be spoken about because there's a lot of Jews in the media, to be honest, even that give Jews a bad name, right? And, you know, hypocrisy can get you in a lot of trouble. If you are seen as a rabbi or a teacher or a leader and you don't treat people right, then that can turn off generations of people. Oh, absolutely. If if I was a Seth Rogen fan, it's one of the things I, I will not do is bring Seth Rogen onto this podcast because of what he did on Mark Maron's show. And the he didn't even make an apology when the community called out to him. And by the way, he is continuing to make content that represents Judaism. These actors have uh, such a huge influence on the industry and they act hypocritical, but they're not recognized as hypocritical. They're just recognized as comedy. As if a oh, rabbi yeah. does it, though, or if any other Jewish figure does it, 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 it shames them. It shuns them. There's a problem there. Definitely. Definitely. I, I went to a comedy show recently here in Texas and every single comedian made a Jewish joke. I actually felt, you know, it's like. And they weren't Jewish. And they weren't Jewish. Yeah. It actually made me very uncomfortable. I was like, is this trendy now? Like, why now is every comedian doing that? I think uh, media has become incredibly desensitized, but I want I want to bring us back to the topic at hand of, you know, a YJP, a young Jewish professional like myself. They're just starting their journey, but they don't know how to. What are some of the steps that you recommend, Rena? Well, here's a deep question, right? Where does consciousness come from? So even thinking about that on a basic level, right? Like, did God blow a soul into us? Are we all part of something bigger? I think that's really what it starts with. So asking that basic question of where does yeah. consciousness come from? Okay. Yeah. I mean, do you see God in your life? Right. Can you make space for that? Asking the big questions. Yeah. 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 I think that's something to think about. I think, like I said, probably until I was like in my mid-20s, I didn't have the interest even in that. Right. When I, when I started thinking about it was when I had my name in a whole bunch of credits of different television productions, and I had reached a certain level of success in many people's eyes, and yet I still felt unfulfilled. 
So I knew that there was something more. I needed something else in my life, more purpose, more more reason behind what I was doing. And so that led me on my like aha moment trip. I went on a trip with Aisha Tora. It was like a singles trip. And two, like to be honest, I was engaged to somebody who wasn't Jewish. And then my parents all of a sudden were like, how come? And I didn't really understand why it mattered all of a sudden. Mm. And so I kind of went exploring where I came from, really. Wow. You have a lot of relatable touch points in what you just said to some of the people that have been on this podcast. First one is David Sachs, who is one of the original writers of The Simpsons. You know, he saw a lot of success and he also, I believe, if I remember correctly, was a Harvard graduate, you know, huge success, incredible. You know, he could he could regale us with accolades for days on his success. But what he was saying was that that was not fulfilling. And so he started to explore Judaism is now considered a quote unquote street rabbi by the Jewish journal, right? Because he's not actually ordained as a rabbi, but he does teach seminars and he is incredibly insightful and you know he he might as well be a rabbi right um another person that you also uh, reminded me of from this show that you reminded me of was becky to and david and uh becky her sister got married to a non-jew and because of that that made her start to think about what's her place in judaism and how does she relate to Judaism? And so she went on this whole entire uh, journey that actually ended up helping her explore her Judaism and become more religious. And she made a whole documentary about it. That's amazing. Ooh, I want to see that. What's interesting is after I went on that ace trip to Israel, then both of my sisters followed in my path amazing. and became religious or, you know, Shomer Shabbos, they keep the Sabbath. And they made Aliyah and moved to Israel. So I'm the only Beautiful. one left in the country. And it's interesting because one became more religious than me and lives in a very ultra-Orthodox neighborhood and had five kids. Now she has five kids, I think, 13 and under. Mm. And the other one, I would say, is traditional Shomer Shabbos, but, you know, married an Israeli and lives similarly to me, but there. <laughs> right. Right. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There's some, there's some clear differences and yet you're still connected by family. You're all over the world, which I think is, is pretty amazing. So it's just you and your dad are left here yeah. in, in America and they're in Israel. That's amazing. Wow. And that's really because of your journey. How, how has that impacted your daddy, by the way? Yeah, that and and my mom. I think that they wanted us to marry Jewish, but then when we became observant, that was like more Jewish than I think they had in mind. Right. You know, I think they would have been happy if we would have married someone conservative or somebody that could eat at the Cheesecake Factory or that could do what they did. <laughs> right. 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 It's it's interesting when your parents put their foot down and then they're like, "But wait, that wasn't exactly what I meant." <laughs> you know. Right. Right. So, yeah, especially because, you know, my one sister who became ultra orthodox, that means that she will only eat certain food and she'll only eat on certain dishes and, she, you know, she dresses a certain way. There's a lot of stringencies that she holds that 
make my parents a little bit uncomfortable visiting her, right? Right, right, of course. But that's the neighborhood that she lives in. So my parents yeah. don't like leave the house much when they visit her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand that. You know, managing where you are with your family, I always imagine to be very difficult. In fact, that show, The Patient, did you ever see The Patient? So it has Steve no. Carell in it. The, I'm not ruining anything by sharing this, but the premise of the story is that Steve Carell is a therapist and his uh, patient that he had just denied therapy to kidnaps him and he wakes up chained to the basement in some foresty home in Southern California. And so the plot as the plot develops in the arc, uh, you know, Steve Carell's story arc develops, you see a character, you know, you see um, someone deeply rooted in Judaism and how their family really began to explore the differences that, you know, their son becomes Baal Teshuvah, the son becomes religious and Orthodox, where the mother is the cantor at the local reform synagogue. So now you have this huge split in the family happening and you see people trying out Judaism and exploring their Judaism in difficult times. Uh, and it's, I actually, even though Steve Carell is not Jewish, I'm like, wow, like Steve Carell, honorary Jew of the year. He think he just captured what it, what it feels like to be a Jew in a very extreme situation. And I really, really was inspired by that. That is so cool. I, I wanted to go back to, to that question that I don't feel like I answered of yours. You said, how can sure. people get started with Judaism? Yeah. For me, I was really interested in the unplug of Shabbos because I was a workaholic working, oh my God, around the clock, sometimes 14 days straight, sometimes being on the road for six weeks at a time, sometimes working nine months straight and then getting three, three months paid over a summer. So for me, it was really appealing to unplug from the world and try to bring spirituality into my life, try to do something different than the rest of my week. Love that. So that got me. Another thing that I love is I was told when you do a mitzvah, when you light candles or when you go into the ritual bath, when you do one of these commandments, you can pray for other things. So I really connected to that. So like if I'm doing a mitzvah that I'm commanded to do, you know, if I'm saying a prayer or if I'm, like I, I mentioned, like lighting the candles or some of these commandments that are meant for us to do, supposedly, I will pray for other things at the same time. So like when I'm lighting the candles, I'll be like, oh, you know, my grandma really could use like a speedy recovery or that she should stay in good health or like what other people are moments or things in your life can you pray for when you're doing something holy? I really connected to that. I don't know if it's true, but that has stayed with me. So like when I'm in the mikvah and I'm going under the ritual bathwater, I like try to pray for everybody at once in that water <laughs> wow. or wow. other things that I need in my life when I'm doing something holy. So I really try to focus in that time that I'm doing something to connect to God to pray for other things that need prayers then too. I do wow. that over the candles. I do that in the mikvah. I love that. I love that. That's actually, I've never heard that before. And I love that. That's great. So for people that are starting out, it's, you got to find parts that you connect to. I really connected to the unplug because I needed it and I see beauty in it. And I do feel like it's an elevation in some ways. I, I feel God's presence when I do that. And it's a moral compass, honestly. 
Um, I never had that consistency. You know, we might have done Friday night dinner, but it was never like light candles at the time you're supposed to light candles, you know, buy foods that you don't eat the rest of the week, unplug from the world. So I do see specialness there. I've been doing that with my four children the whole marriage. And it's something now that I wouldn't want to give up. So for somebody that's starting out, find things that you feel connected to and try to expand from there. And, you know, even when we lived in Chicago, I had over people that were never invited anywhere else. And you know what? People did that for me when I lived in LA. I went to a cousin's house and he was doing Shabbos on his own terms, man. He was having people off of Venice Beach and he was picking people up from Chabad that ran away from orthodoxy. And he had people from all around the world at his Passover table. And I was never told you can't bring your, your boss that's homosexual. I mean, I, I guess that's how I should say it. That's, you know, I was never told, uh, you know, you can't bring a non-Jewish boyfriend. I would say have people over that aren't freaking invited. Make your space just a loving freaking environment because, you know, kids will have fun at that. People who aren't affiliated will have fun at that. You'll have fun at that. And that's even what my podcast has become too. I'm like, I had people reach out to me that were the only Jew in town. I've had Hasidic people reach out to me and they're like, the way that you talk to your guests, maybe you could break through to my wife. I've had Jews from every walk of life and maybe that's because I've lived in, I'm going to list it out for you, Kentucky, West Virginia, Indiana, Illinois, California, and Texas. And I've tried to be Jewish in all of those places. And I'm leaving the door open no matter what kind of Jew you are. Even if you're a non-Jew and you want to understand Jews, you can reach out to me. Wow. Well, Rena, that was... <laughs> I think just so, so beautiful. I'm going to put your banner now in the bottom so that people can contact you. Bettercalldaddy.com. I might as well be called Better Call Rena at this point because I think that was just so inspiring. Seriously, I think that's just a, such a touching way to you know encourage inclusivity, but also to remind people that I that 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 this community is really meant to be a place of love. This community is meant to be a place of acceptance and tolerance. And this is a call to the Jewish organizations that are out there. It's not just Chabad. It's not just Asha Torah. It's not just the conservative or the reform synagogues or the orthodox synagogues. It's to all Jewish organizations out there. Be better. Have an entry-level way of entering in. And not just from an intention standpoint, but also you know, invest in the technology to make it easy actually invest in the content to make it more widespread invest in yourselves to get the message out there to people like me to like rena other yjps the people in my bad jew community to get out there and to actually make introductions that lead to meaningful and comprehensive journeys for each individual yjp that's all I love that. I just want to say that, you know, the Jews are a microcosm of everything that's happening in the world. You know, like we are diversity and all of these different denominations and all of these different walks of life that that's going on in, in, in on a larger scale, too. Yeah. And it starts with us. It starts with us. That's right. That's right. Rena, what is the best way for people to reach out to you? If not, if not the website. 
I am a LinkedIn-aholic, so you can definitely find me at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn and also on Instagram. Amazing. That information will be displayed in the show notes of this episode as well. Rena, thanks again for being on Bad You. Thank you so much for being here and to be vulnerable and to share your insights on your personal lifestyle and the way that you have raised your amazing family, the people that you have surrounded yourself with. Thank you again for giving us your time. It always means the world. Thank you so much for having me. You're an amazing host. Everybody subscribe and leave Chaz a five-star review. Oh, stop. But actually, please do that. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Shalom. Shalom.